Welcome to HSDF the Podcast, a collection of policy discussions on government technology and homeland security brought to you by the Homeland Security and Defense Forum. Today's program is the first of a two-part series looking at how TSA and Customs and Border are collaborating to introduce a new touchless screening system at American airports. Patty Cogswell leads the discussion with Neil Lada, Assistant Administrator at TSA, Diane Sabatino, Deputy Executive Assistant Commissioner at CBP, and Jonathan Album, Federal Chief Technology Officer at ServiceNow. Listen in to learn about collaboration between CBP and TSA to facilitate a seamless curb-to-gate experience, the integration of biometric and screening data, the growth of expedited screening programs, and new innovation checkpoints at airports. This program was recorded on December 8, 2022. I want to start out by giving an opportunity to, to Diane and Neil and tell us a little bit about the, the passenger screening um, activities, enhancements that are underway at CBP and TSA, and in particular, the things that you are seeing that go right to improving the quality of the mission. Um, and, and what excites you about that and, and where do you think it's going? And, and Diane, if I could start with you. Oh, thank you so much, Patty. And uh, Diane Sabatino, I've been uh, with the federal government starting with the Legacy Immigration Service uh, back in 1998, so almost 25 years. The last two have been in my current position as the Deputy Executive Assistant Commissioner uh, with Field Operations, working uh, feels like the majority of my time on uh, this very topic. Um, you know, certainly what is uh, exciting and what has been exciting about the last two years has been kind of the evolution, certainly. A lot of work before I came uh, into my role by my predecessor, John Wagner, in uh, building out a vision uh, for the use of biometrics in, uh, you know, to answer the congressional mandate dating all the way back to 2002 for the biometric uh, confirmation of all those uh, arriving and uh, departing from the U.S., but certainly over the last two years, we saw the accelerated deployment of simplified arrival for those international arriving passengers uh, because of, uh, you know, what we saw with respect to the pandemic, the need for that uh, streamlined, touchless environment. Um, still working diligently uh, at the rollout for biometric exit. We're at about 32 airport locations with some significant milestones to accomplish before the end of 2025. Uh, to complete that uh, transition in public-private partnership that we have with the airlines uh, and the airport uh, authorities. So we are making significant progress. Our first uh, milestone this past October, we exceeded it. We're looking to exceed our milestone uh, by the end of this fiscal year. Uh, But I think what's also been really phenomenal uh, the last uh, two years, and again, starting uh, it, before I got there with uh, with Wagner's vision, is the partnership with TSA and the Traveler Verification Service. That's the cloud-based uh, biometric uh, matching service uh, that was built by the Office of Information Technology um, in CBP. And what we've been able to do is offer identity as a service to our airline and airport stakeholders, and most importantly, I think, to the Transportation uh, Security Administration, so that you know we can have that biometric. Uh, identity verification at all points of the travel continuum. So looking certainly within the U.S. with our air carrier partners, you know, from, you know, that curb to gate vision, uh, and then certainly upon return, 
uh, with simplified arrival, but also looking to our international uh, partners for biometric boarding from overseas, um, as well as tying in uh, potentially uh, baggage x-rays with that. And very similar to what the Executive Assistant Commissioner mentioned earlier, that integrated data package for the cargo environment, but kind of fashioning it the same way, potentially in the air environment for passengers, leveraging all of the data that we have, again, streamlining uh, the inspection process and really giving our officers, our agriculture specialists, the opportunity, taking away that administrative burden from them and doing, you know, you know, and having them invest in what they do best, which is to speak to people and sure, you know, turn it over to Neil. I think he's got quite a bit and a a great partnership uh, with TSA. Thanks. Thanks, Diane. Um, so Neil Latta, uh, Assistant Administrator for Enrollment Services and Vetting Programs out of TSA. Uh, our office was a new office. It was stood up in uh, a reorganization back in 2018, uh, really with the focus to uh, uh, enhance the enrollment, the vetting, and the credentialing process. So we manage many populations. Uh, one of the big ones, of course, is TSA PreCheck. Uh, that we manage and and we're responsible for also other programs such as transportation workers, identification credentials, TWIC, um, hazardous materials endorsement. Um, so when you think of TSA, sometimes a lot of people just focus on on the airport, but there's also other sides to that too that we, we work with. Um, as Diane said, we have a great partnership with CBP uh, that we work with them on to enhance the customer experience. When I When I hear the screening at speed, I'll, I'll change it a little bit and just kind of say, uh, you know, for us, we really look at to make sure that, that it's a consistent or expected um, screening process. Um, when you go to the airport and you want to get checked in, uh, you're, you're nervous. I mean, I think we all as, as travelers, even getting back into the traveling side of things, you get a little bit nervous because you don't know what to expect. And we want to make that a consistent travel <clears throat> experience uh, that happens uh, throughout the process. So. As I said, TSA PreCheck uh, is one of those 90, uh, 92, right now, 92% of the time, uh, TSA PreCheck uh, individuals wait five minutes or less. Uh, and we, we look to make that even, even higher. It's been at 95. Uh, we are finding about 30% of the traveling public is using on a daily basis is using TSA PreCheck. We also would like to see that go higher. Uh, the measure that we had was 22%, uh, but at 30%, it allows us to take the focus. And, and I think I've heard li- uh, risk-based screening and layered screening approach uh, that, that I've heard uh, throughout the audience and, and through the panels. Uh, that allows us to, to focus on the other populations that we know less about. Uh, as Diane mentioned, one of our big programs that we've also started to do is p- implement biometrics. Uh, uh, along with CBP's help on that, uh, we're doing some things in uh, Detroit and Atlanta. Uh, in Atlanta, you can go for, you can drop your bag off uh, and do a, a bag drop with your facial identification, drop it off. You can go to the checkpoint. You can use your face to check in at the checkpoint. And then at the gate, you can also do the same thing to check in uh, on your flight. Um, so we've, we've uh, been able to do that with the partnership from CVP as we use their uh, TVS system too. So uh, I look forward to uh, more questions and uh, more, more opportunities to give you updates. Very good. Um, and we'll keep going back and forth as we go. Uh, next question, though, I will I will move to. I think everybody here in the audience recognizes that when you're making major changes like this, I mean, some of some of these conversations, you know, Diane, you, you made the point of we, we've been talking about biometric entry and exit for 
a long time. A few years. <laughs> <laughs> I, I may have worked on that project at one point in my career. Um, part of the reasons these can be quite difficult are, are things around not only the, the the getting the buying the technology, but and not only as as uh, uh, Tadawan just noted, consistent funding for buying the technology, but frankly, what the architecture is, the information sharing posture, the rule sets. Uh, and frankly, the very large public interest in all of this and how it's done and the be way to best do it. Uh, I would like to start with Jonathan, your thought on what is the most significant challenge and what have you seen in terms of good ways to to meet it? Sure, that's a, that's a really great question. Um, I will, uh, I'll, I'll introduce myself first, I'm supposed to do. So my name is Jonathan <laughs> Albaum. I'm the Federal Chief Technology Officer for ServiceDAO. Before joining ServiceNow, I worked in the federal government for a number of years. I was a chief information officer at different agencies um, and organizations at the Department of Agriculture and also GSA. And eventually, I became the CIO for USDA. And uh, so I, I, I come at this as a practitioner, but also I have an industry lens and work on a lot of different projects and different different agencies right now. And I think any time that we're implementing technologies, there's a there's a high risk of failure, not necessarily because the technologies don't work. Um, but we don't always plan our projects well, or we don't have the right uh, governance or mechanisms around running a project so we get the value that's perceived out of it. And that can happen for a lot of reasons. Um, you, you mentioned something like with biometrics, people are going to worry about privacy. So we've done the right kind of communication and socialization around this. Um, when we're dealing with multiple agencies, have those agencies agreed to approaches or policies where we might have conflict? Conflict. Uh, I have a lot of experiences within the Department of Agriculture where we try to normalize the way we collected information in different sub-agencies. We couldn't agree on b basic data definitions, right? You know, how many versions of corn are there? There's a lot of versions <laughs> of corn. You can't, you can't agree on corn. You're not going to agree on biometrics. So, I mean, there, there are things that you have to work out, ideally, before you acquire technology, before you begin these projects, because if you're trying to figure it out after you've made these acquisitions, it, you're, you're going to be uh, having a very long project uh, life cycle. You're not going to see value. People are going to get anxious. And those those things tend to scuttle projects over time. So I think that planning and the change management, the socialization of these projects, we have to really work these things out. Now, the good news is you don't necessarily need a lot of funding to do those things. You need time and patience. But we can do those things as we're working on long-term funding approaches, as we're working with Congress and, and, and other ways to get the money. And I wish that as we, we enter these very large, complicated projects, we were um, very thoughtful about how we accomplish the whole thing, not just the technology acquisition or implementation, because if done in a vacuum, those things tend to work pretty well, right? You know, we might be implementing new technology, so maybe we'll have to overcome some challenges, but that's never as hard as the people aspect of it. So I think that we have to sort of refocus on how we try and do these big things, start with the hard stuff first, and that's the people and the policy and the process. I'll open it up to uh, Diane and Neil. Would you like to add to that? Uh, sure, certainly. I think with respect to some of the challenges uh, related to privacy, I think, um, you know, uh, 
facial biometrics often gets or facial recognition often gets intertwined or conflated with uh, the concept of surveillance and really important and certainly appreciate the industry's help <laughs> in kind of messaging the business the distinction between the business use cases that we have uh, certainly for CBP and TSA with identity verification at a time and a place when an individual would normally expect to present themselves uh, for verification, but really important for us uh, to ensure that, and it, and it was, it, you know, certainly the privacy and the data security wasn't, wasn't an afterthought. They were baked in from the beginning, uh, you know, of the entry exit um, program and making sure that we are as transparent uh, as possible. And look, we're never going to convince everyone across kind of the, the spectrum of privacy advocacy groups, but it is really important to hear their concerns. Uh, and we often try to engage and discuss, you know, specifically what those concerns are to really demystify, you know, what our business use case is. It's really important through the privacy impact assessments uh, that we've done with DHS or published, um, you know, on the websites, you know, how are we using the information? What do we do with the information once we collect it? How do we uh, uh, transfer it? How do we store it? How is it ultimately and when is it ultimately deleted? All things that are really important to note. Again, going back to, uh, you know, that that distinction in how and why we are using it uh, and being as forthcoming about that as possible. Um, you know, it, it, again, not a challenge that, um, you know, is insurmountable at all. And again, it's going to require continued engagement and outreach and certainly partnerships with industry help us with that. I love that point. De demystify. Don't let uh, others fill in your narrative. That's a great point, Neil. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna highlight uh, for challenges as I talked about consistency in in your travel process. So if you go to one airport, you want to have the same experience that you go to another airport. So you know, for example, there's over 400 federalized airports, um, of which there's 694 active checkpoints and 2,377 active lanes. Uh, 250 of those have TSA pre-check, and then um, uh, 1,623 actually have standard uh, processing along with some blended. So that's a combination between the, the uh, TSA pre-check and, and standard processing. So that's a challenge for us is to make sure that that process and, and that, that uh, experience is the exact same thing when you go there, and along with the training of 60,000 officers that you have to go through and, and put in place. Um, the other thing I'll highlight uh, as another challenge is the amount of IDs that we see and where technology can support us in this. And that's um, so there's 56 states and uh, territories and jurisdictions. Uh, we estimate there are over 2,800 different variations of IDs that we can see at, at, a, at, a, at a checkpoint that can be presented as acceptable forms of ID for us. Um, that's where technology helps us. <clears throat> excuse me, um, and, and our credential authentication technology is uh, takes that uh, and, and, and allows that automation uh, to help us determine fraud and helps us determine that technology, if, if that identity is accurate. And that's where, once again, where Diane had mentioned on the, on the facial. So uh, we were taking what was done and demystifying it of this ID that's being presented. Is that truly who that person is? The system can do that better than what than what an officer does, and that's what the officer does today. So we're really just automating that process of the officer in that place. But getting out ahead of it, explaining to people what that process is, and 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 ensuring that it is not you know not being retained uh, once it's being once it's being used and and done, uh, that data is uh, discarded at that point. It's no longer needed. 
Uh, I might add one more challenge to the list. Um, and this is something I see, saw quite a bit in, in my career, and I, I know you all have seen examples of this as well. Uh, when leadership changes over, uh, there are often new priorities, new requirements, things that are on a you know, five-year plan, get cut off at year two and start it over. Uh, I would argue that right now, uh, both of you are frankly in a really pretty decent position comparatively. Um, obviously, uh, Acting Commissioner Miller has longevity with uh, the agency, its priorities, where it's going, and, and very much is invested in, in building it for the long term, not just the quick sales point to, to make sure that they've, they're able to demonstrate forward motion on every, absolutely everything. And similarly with uh, Administrator Prokoski just being re, um, reconfirmed, you're in a really great place to get some longer term movement, which is frankly unusual quite often in, in these spaces. Um, moving to our next question, uh, and Neil, you, you, you actually mentioned uh, a little bit at the beginning of this. Customer experience has long been part of the discussion uh, when you're talking about screening environments. People always ask, why can't you do more about, uh, about what that experience is? Uh, my, ex my, my experience, both as a personal traveler as well as in government, is most people in the public, when you ask them that, they really mean the entire continuum. Yes, security checkpoints or the FIS on entry are important to that, but they really mean from the time they check in on their app at the at home on their couch, all the way till they get on the plane, or when the aircraft arrives, till they actually physically leave the airport. This requires a really important close coordination, both between government, uh, the aviation industry, uh, as well as wider industry to figure out how all those pieces knit together and work out. Would love for each of you to maybe share one or two examples that you've really enjoyed where you've seen this just work in such a good way. Um, something that, that mattered a lot to you or, or a way that you thought that's a model I can continue to build off from here. And I will see who answers the question first. I'm, I'm happy to start. Um, because Patty, I think what you're talking about is this idea of total experience. Yeah. You know, we talk a lot about uh, customer experience. We talk a lot about user experience, the employee experience. There's all these, you know, terms that get uh, thrown around, but really in the end, what we're focused on is uh, how do we feel at the end of, during this transaction or activity and at the end of it. And that to the totality of that, you know, really drives how uh, much we trust government at times. And I think you're 100% correct. People are not great at distinguishing who is responsible for which aspect of this journey. It's the whole thing. And I think the, the sooner we all are thinking about the whole thing and our role in it and collaborating, we're, we're, we're going to, um, to do better on this. When, um, when you think about it from the, from the administration's perspective on customer experience, executive order, or the president's management agenda, you, you end up, um, I, I think there are times where you can get kind of bogged down in some of the, you know, bureaucracy um, around it. And the reality is that's what sort of people who the traveling public um, feel like gets in, in the way today, but we can get very caught up in that. So uh, we have to be out there talking to people and understanding what the, the biggest you know, pain points and challenges are to the extent that we're able to um, take steps out of that process or take the redundancy out. Or I love, Neil, how you talked about having a consistent experience because it is can be very different. And um, that can be very frustrating because as soon as you're used to one thing, it, it's changed. And I think that that, you know, kind of erodes that that trust as well. So if you're able to um, find those areas of consistency or at least help people understand why it can't always be consistent. Now, 
you know, and we're doing better to the extent that we can use technology to streamline a process. That's great. The idea that you could check it on your phone and you can use biometrics to speed through the process. I think if people have um, uh, an understanding of the data and the privacy and those implications. People will, will take those things because the value is 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 really there, and that drives that total experience. Thank you for tuning in. You can follow HSDF the podcast on every major podcast platform. Visit hsdf.org to learn more about the Homeland Security and Defense Forum and HSDF the podcast. Podcast.